0: Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people, your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. This is Marin Costello Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, we have such a stellar guest on the show today. Michelle Phillips, president of Keefe Performance, boasts a triumphant 23-year entrepreneurial voyage that has etched an enduring mark on the corporate world. Her acclaimed book, Happiness is a Habit, still ranks on Amazon today, almost 10 years after it was published in 2013. Beyond titles, Michelle's power lies in personal connections. A corporate workshop leader and private coach, she defies categorization, bridging personal and corporate spheres. With 20 plus years of experience, Michelle has guided Fortune 500 giants worldwide, including Tag Heuer, Verizon, and the PGA to name just a few. A happiness and performance expert, she blends neuroscience habits and positive psychology, offering an actionable formula for success. Michelle's depth matches her growth passion. A Fordham University master's holder, certified in positive psychology, she has been a consumer health digest writer and revered coach. In August of 2017, her book was rated in the top five personal development books on Amazon, a testament to her transformative impact, resonating and inspiring countless lives. Her insights have graced the stages of national television and radio programs, solidifying her status as a featured guest. Please welcome Michelle Phillips.
1: Hello, Marin.
0: Hi. Thank you so much for being here.
1: I'm so excited to be here with you.
0: When you and I first met, we just started talking and you know chatting and then realized there's no way that an hour is going to be enough time to cover all the things that we want to talk about because, saying, saying, oh my yes. gosh, oh my gosh. Um, well, let's start from the very, very beginning. Tell us about little
1: Michelle. Little Michelle, uh, loved the center of attention and always knew I liked the stage, but had nothing to say. So, and, you know, in college, I became a communications major because I got to give speeches. Again, still had nothing to say. And then um, early in my career, I was um, working, as, um, working as a salesperson, and then I went into sales training, and that's when I discovered psychology, the psychology of sales, what makes people do what they do. And I got so lit up, it jingled every bell. And I got myself back to school. I went to Fordham and I took a course on organizational development. I got my master's in uh, behavior, organizational behavior. And in the class was the vice president of a, a huge company who said, I want you to come. She saw me give a presentation and she said, I want you to come train my executives. And my career was born.
0: How long ago was that?
1: Oh my gosh, that was 1997.
0: So safe to say the personal development and the coaching world has changed and developed quite a bit from (laughs) then to now. So was that even a sphere that you knew existed? Was that something that you knew? No, you had no idea. So how did you prepare? What a great
1: question. You know, I was training, I was doing corporate training. So I was in corporations doing training, teaching people, you know, back then you know, we were talking about emotional intelligence and communication skills and that kind of thing. And then this coaching sphere opened up. And in the beginning, I was like, I don't think I even want to do that. Like, what do you mean? We're going to talk to someone on the phone. Back then it was on the phone. And since I was in corporations day in and day out, people get to know me because I work I work with a lot of corporations over a long period of time. So they would say like, you know, Joe just got a new team and we need to transition him. Can you work with him? So I said, yes. So the, the coaching, you know, came, you know, by you know, cause I was there doing it already. And then the authorship followed because doing all these workshops, people would say to me, do you have a book? Do you have a book? And I didn't, and probably 10 years into it, it probably took me 30 days to write the book because I'd been saying it, like I've been giving the seminar for 10 years. So the book was a natural next step. So I've kind of always been a person who follows the energy. That's what I like to say.
0: I love that. You said that you grew up knowing that you're a performer, knowing that you wanted to you know, be in front of people and engage with them energetically in that way, but you weren't sure what to say. How did you know it was time to start speaking about what you talk about now? And maybe to our listeners who have that same energy, how would you advise that they start speaking about certain things if they're not really sure how to navigate that field?
1: Really good question, Marin. I think the biggest thing is what resonates with you, right? What resonances we resound when something goes out, it, it bounces off of you and it, do you feel it? So, back, oh my gosh, we're talking in 1997 again, 1996, I got this mail thing in the mail that said there was this eight day certification in Santa Barbara, California. I'm sorry, I feel like this keeps falling out of my ear. In Santa Barbara, California, and my heart started racing. And the, the name of the program was um, Facilitating Self-Esteem in the Classroom. And I thought, this is what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to teach people to be confident. So I got myself out to California and thinking I was going to learn how to help people. And this is Jack Canfield. You know him. He's a chicken soup for the soul author. And this is, again, the beginning of his career. So the first thing we have to do is deal with my self-esteem and my confidence. And I was like, I didn't sign up for this. I'm fine. I'm going to help other people. But that was the beginning of my awakening. Like the, the pull was so strong. I couldn't stop it. I always say it chose me. So like you say, you know, you've been doing this since you your first beaded, you know, your first box of beads. So it's really the same thing. Really don't just try to get a platform to have a platform. What are you excited about? What lights you up? And then study it, right? You don't have to be an expert at it, but you know, it lights you up. I
0: love that you have been so passionate and so dedicated to your craft for so long. And I think there's a lot of frustration from folks because of this narrative of turn your passion into your profession. If there's a person who say is still trying to figure those things out, what would your message to them be? And in a similar sense, what was, what would your message be to someone who maybe has found their passion, but is maybe struggling with patience a little bit because, you know, Folks are like, even say to me, wow, your, your joy brand is so, is blowing up so big. And I said, well, I certainly hope so after 20 years, you know, it's a 20, it's a 20 year overnight success. So talk to us about both sides of the spectrum, people who are trying to seek their passion or folks who are maybe getting a little anxious and a little antsy on waiting for that big moment for their career.
1: Um, You know, I like to tell people it's a ladder, right? We do with social media makes us think everyone has this overnight success, but it is a ladder. And as long as you're taking a step up the ladder every year, right, if you can look back and say, I'm better than I was last year, and I have more clients. So for me, I job shared in the very beginning. I went to HR. I had no children, which HR originally said no to me. I was working at a big corporation. And I said, I want a job share. And they said, why do you want to do that? You don't have children. And I said, well, what does that matter? So I rewrote my case. I went back to HR. They finally said yes. So now I'm working at a corporation three days a week. And I'm starting my business, right? And then it's step. So then it's and then I got certifications in other people's training programs, because I didn't have my own. I literally would read Chicken Soup for the Soul books. I would read other people's stories. So realizing it's every step mattered. And then, you know, before you know it, I'm writing my own training programs and I'm right, telling my own stories because I have my own stories. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, it's kind of like the, um, they say if you take five swings with an axe at a tree every day, eventually the tree falls. But if it's a big giant oak, it'll take a long time, but you know you're making progress. So, really, to give yourself credit for all the baby steps you take. And to do this, I years ago created a victory log where I would write down personal and professional victories. So if I read a book, it went on my list. If I called a client five clients, it went on my list. If I got a speaking engagement, it went on my list because you're building the proverbial snowball and getting the momentum going. So it's not about looking at what you didn't do and what didn't work. It's like, what steps are you taking right now every day?
0: Oh, this is so profound. If someone has not started their inner work, their inner discovery, the work that is effectively the foundation of what you do, where would you suggest they start?
1: Yeah, again, it's, you know, really, you want to talk about looking for things that light you up, and then studying them. I, I'm not bragging, I always say, I don't tell my story to impress you, I tell my story to impress upon you, that I'm no different than you. So when I started my career, I hadn't read a book in years. And I thought, I don't have time for books. Who has time for this? But I set a goal to read 10 pages a day. Again, 1997 was my first awakening. And that year I read 33 books. 33 books is a lot of wisdom to ingest. Just think about if you worked out you know, that much and you ate healthy food, you get stronger. And then every year since, so the last 25 years, I've read that many books. So it's find something that lights you up. And sometimes you need the classes, you need to know how to run a business, you need to know how to set up a podcast or how to do a training program, how to coach. But sometimes people get too caught up in the how to and not the, the, the message. What are you what are you having to give? Do you have content? Do you have ideas? Do you have things that will change people's lives. So studying the content more than the you know, like we talked about yesterday, how to get rich in 10 steps kind of stuff.
0: Education is so important. And so is the preparation to your point. However, I think that a lot of folks think that doing the studying and being behind the scenes is actually doing the work of putting their gifts out into the world and it's not. How do you, what would you suggest someone who's maybe busying themselves with the work Mm -hmm. and just over inundating themselves with information when they're effectively ready to go out into
1: the world? Yeah, there's levels. Again, it's to start small, right? It's to make those small goals. And here's the thing, too. I think there's this big thing, especially with social media, that you have to have a gazillion followers. It depends on your industry, right? If you I have an industry, I only need a couple handful of clients that use me repeatedly. So it's this realization that when you look at your industry, what does your industry require of you? And then are you reaching out to those people? Are you marketing to those people? You know, so you're right. There's there's so many layers of this. But realizing the first step is to, you know, for me in the beginning, I just wanted to speak. I saw a Faith Hill years ago give an interview. And she said when she wanted to sing, she would sing anywhere for free. And she said she went on a stage once after a spitting competition. And I always that that story stuck in my head in the earlier in my career. And I thought, if it's good enough for Faith Hill, it's good enough for me. So it was get out in the world and put your gift out there. And I spoke for free everywhere. Everybody has a meeting, a luncheon, a dinner. They're looking for speakers. All these associations um, are looking for people to talk. They have 12 meetings a year. They need 12 speakers. So that 20 minute presentation that you start to give at these clubs, associations, then turn into paid, paid work. So for a while, I was giving free after free. And then I said, I do one free a month. Right. So, again, I took the next step up the ladder. I need to make a living. So now it's when someone calls and says, can you give the, you know, speak to our club? I'm I'm, You know, my give back is book this week, you know, I'm free two months now. Now I don't speak for free ever, hardly anymore. But again, realizing it's a ladder and you're working on what you're doing. But then the other quote I used early in my career was go ugly early, meaning don't wait for it to be perfect, right? Put something out in the world and then tweak it and then fix it. And the perfect, you know, don't get stuck in perfectionism.
0: Go ugly early. That's so great. I love that you touched upon the importance of the quality of your content and what you're sharing, because really to your point, you, like you said, you only need a handful of clients that are repeat customers and that will satisfy, you know, your financial goals for a part of your business. Same thing for us. It's really interesting because when we put content, content into the, into the world, do we care about engagement? Sure. But sometimes it's the piece of content with the least amount of engagement that yields to the most sales. So just because some people are engaging with a piece of content the most, doesn't mean that that's really translating to what your focus might be as a business person.
1: Yeah, so it's the, what are the results you're getting? You know, for me, this is bothering me all the time, sorry. In the corporate world, a lot of the corporate people don't want their employers to know they're on social media right? So I know I have this huge audience that, you know, speaks to me, but maybe isn't as engaged, you know, visibly, right? But it's what are you getting the results? Those are the questions I always say, every client I, I work with, I say, every hour of the day, I want you to say, "Am how am I feeling? And am I happy with my results? If you're feeling good, and you're happy with your results, you're going in the right direction. If you're not feeling good, and you're frustrated, slow down, change the recipe, do something different.
0: Do you remember your first exposure to entrepreneurship?
1: Yes. I I mean, I gave this speech. I was in, you know, I was at Fordham and the speech was leading with a heart. I was you know, young, probably my late twenties. I don't know. And I gave this speech called leading with a heart. It just was things I believed. And I I gave my presentation with my heart. And this VP of this um, beautiful company came up to me and said, I want you to give a full day training session to my executives. And I ran home to my husband and I said, I'm going to have to write a full day program and we have to get workbooks. And we, you know, we ran around like and, you know, making workbooks and printing workbooks. And they brought me up to their corporate retreat center. And it was beautiful. And, you know, I had a room full of way older people than I. I gave this presentation and then they all hired me. The marketing VP was hiring me. The sales VP was hiring me. The HR VP. And I, they birthed my career. Now, the other thing I will tell you, is, I worked for a wonderful mentor at the time at my corporate job, who knew what I was doing and believed in me and let me have the freedom to do both. She said, Michelle, you're good at this. I will support you. Just, you know, get your work done here. Do what you have to do. Take your vacation days. And I was, you know, again, there's always a way you always have more power than you think. You're not stuck. You never, you know, um, my favorite Jim Rohn quote is you're not a tree. You can move. You could do something different.
0: Do you remember your first experience with your intuition when you were maybe in a particular environment that was encouraging you to make decisions one way, but you veered and did it in a different way?
1: Yeah, again, intuition has something that I think has always been really strong with me and I didn't even realize it Um, early in my career before I got into the training, I was doing sales. And then one day I walked into my boss's office and my name was on the org chart to be the manager of the department. And I said, I'm getting a you know promotion. And that's when I realized the things I see, the emotional intelligence I have um, was really leading me and helping me make good decisions. Because sometimes as a leader, you have to make hard decisions, but you can do them in a kind way. So for me, it's always Not only is what is the message I'm delivering, what's the task at hand, but how is it going to be received and, you know, taking both sides into consideration. So that's emotional intelligence. So when it comes to intuition, again, it's just, I get feelings all the time. You know, when I bought my house, it's like, where are we? I like this neighborhood. It feels good. Right. So it's really, again, really tuning into how you feel. And most of us have been taught to think, what do you think? What do you think? And I'm like, what do you feel, right? In in emotional intelligence research, they say we have 27 emotions an hour. That's a lot of energy floating through us. So most of us don't tune into it, but it's we all have it. That's the beauty of it.
0: What if someone is not as comfortable with feeling as they are thinking? What would your advice be to them to get in touch with the feeling aspect?
1: Yeah. Um, I had a a man in my class years ago. He said, feeling, I don't know what I'm feeling. He said, I have to ask my wife. Um, (laughs) It's really that check-in once an hour. What am I feeling? And you know, here's the thing. There's a range of emotions, right? So we think happy or sad, but there's frustration, disappointment, overwhelm, anger, you know, joy, um, boredom, contentment, so I have a new book coming out called um, Energize Your Life. And it's going to have the energy, um, the emotional mood spectrum. And the shamans have a saying, name it to tame it. Can you name the emotion you're feeling right now? Right? You get that little uh, in your gut. And that's what I tell people to take the pause. Right? You could be moving along your day totally fine. And then an email comes in, in all caps. And it's like, uh, you just feel your body tense. So I ask people to stop what just happened? Oh, so-and-so sent me an email all tense or so-and-so didn't show up for the meeting, And then you realize, okay, where's that in the scheme of things, right? So you start to pay attention that your feelings come from your thinking and you put the two together.
0: How did you know, speaking of feeling, how did you know it was time to leave your corporate world and then go into a more entrepreneurial world, knowing that you were servicing corporate clients, yeah. but you did them both for um, a period of time and then left the corporate world. So what what was that knowing of of leaving one life and entering into another?
1: Again, everyone's different, but it's that resonance. It's like that pull. We all have, like I always say, what is calling at you in your quietest moments, right? That what is pulling you? There's a real energy that's pulling you towards your natural gifts. This was a natural gift of mine that I didn't know was a natural gift. When I was a child, I was told I talked too much. I talked too fast. I talked too loud. Um, but yet this is my superpower. So when I was working in corporate, I was doing what I loved. I was doing sales training for them but I just again I knew it was bigger than me so it was putting my ducks in a row getting my business plan together you know doing some networking on the side and starting to get you know moonlighting I was working working the part-time so I could know when it was time to go and even the other thing that made me know my husband would say to me how long are you going to keep talking about this Michelle right I kept saying I'm leaving I'm leaving okay when Right. So it's, you know, how are you tired of listening to yourself? say you're going to do something and not do something. And that's when I know, new, it's time to go.
0: How long was that time period for you?
1: Oh my God, probably four years of saying I was leaving before I actually left.
0: And I'm sure cut to now in your life, you have one feeling and you're like, yep, we're redirecting completely.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it, and it's always, it's always the next level. I was just on a, uh, a call before this. Um, and the woman was saying, I'm, you know, my late thirties and I'm just getting to a point where I feel like, oh, Not one of the kids anymore. You know, she said, but then there's just this another ladder. I'm like, it's that's the thing. There's always another level. It's not like you arrive someplace and you just stop. You're always growing and evolving.
0: How would you suggest navigating a corporate environment if perhaps your leader isn't as intuitively driven or the environment doesn't seem to be a vessel for intuition?
1: Yeah. um, I have a saying, look for the believers, right? A corporation is made up of beautiful people, right? Unfortunately, um, sometimes the leadership has not, you know, given, you know, it's not a nurturing one, but every single person has that, that light in them. So no matter who my boss is, when I'm in corporate, I will I will find your light and I will connect to your light. I don't have to like you, but I know you're trying to do this job just as much as I am. Right. So really giving it a chance to connect with this person, but then also looking for the believers. Who are the people in the company that I always find in every company? There's a group of people who were just on a different spiritual level, a different energetic level, and then look to join that department. And again, there's no chains on our feet. If you make a decision to go into a corporation and you don't like it and you can some people I say they blame the corporation for 10 years it's like now it's on you. If you made a mistake you get to make another decision. So don't let yourself get stuck, right? And that fear of what if I, you know, I always tell my clients, I want you to interview on the outside the company once a year. Just see what you're worth, interview when you don't need a job. Right? It's one of the best things you could do. So again, it's realizing you always have more power than you think.
0: When you and I first met, you mentioned a different mindset altogether of corporate versus entrepreneurial. Can you dive into the different mindsets?
1: Yeah, I think what I see, because, you know, I work on both sides. I work with smaller companies and I work with bigger companies. What working in corporations did afford me the structure and the organization, the human resource, how, you know, there's a lot of things that you have to consider when you're talking to people. So it's taken the right way. So you're getting the results you want. And I sometimes find in smaller organizations, it's more of a shoot from the hip kind of, you know, we kind of get emotionally hijacked and we run this way, we run that way without taking too many things into consideration. So I think really it's knowing Um, If you're an entrepreneur, getting some kind of business background, some kind of schooling in this, that gives you the the structure of a business, not just doing your passion so that you can navigate it uh, more professionally.
0: I want to talk about your book. You have one that has been a bestseller for many, many years and one that is on its road to completion. Let's go back to the years of the initial process of starting your first book, how did you know what to write about? Did you know you were writing a book when you were starting out? Was it journaling? Tell us about that initial process and walk us through from that point to actually having it
1: published. Thank you, Maren. That's a great question. Um, Let's start. Early in my life, I just wanted to be fit, right? I was a young woman who wanted to have, you know, be sexy and be fit. So I started really learning how to work out. Um, you know, I followed, you know, how, where is it, what is the right thing to do for my body? What are the right things to eat? So then I got really good and I started seeing great results in my body. And then it was like, okay, let's look at my relationships. So I call myself a living test woman. So then it was relationships Then it was finances and it was business. And what happened was I ended up, um, I got divorced and going through this, the most painful time of my life, I realized what kept me sane were my habits I had a great support system. I worked out all the time. I journaled, right? I had a good playlist. So all these things. So when one thing goes wrong in your life, it didn't have to affect everything else. So that's when my book happiness is a habit was born because happy people have habits mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. So when we think of habits, we often think of, you know, health habits, right? Eating right and that kind of thing. But you also have spiritual habits, right? Are you connected to something greater than you? You have emotional habits. What is your relationship with yourself, with your food, with your, you know, with your significant other, with your car, we have a relationship with everything. And then mostly mental, our mindset, right? It's I always I have two voices in my head, Wanda and Grace. And Wanda is the voice of, oh my God, she beats me up. She's relentless. She's horrible. And she rips me to shreds telling me I can't do it. But Grace is the one who says, you can do it. You're fabulous. So it's really cultivating these habits in a way that helps you live your best life. And, and I want to say one more thing. So the other cool thing is habits require no energy. So that was the premise of my book. So if you If you think of the thing, habits are the things you do on autopilot. So if all you do is practice one new habit after listening to us today, eating an apple, I make it so simple. Eat an apple for 90 days. Then after 90 days, you're eating apples. Now you're going to read 10 pages of a book. So now you're eating apples and you're reading. Now you're going to journal. If you only do one new thing every 90 days, in five years, you have 20 positive, powerful habits leading your life to where you want. That is so profound. It's so powerful, but most people want the result overnight.
0: Yes. Back to our initial topic of patience, which comes up quite a bit on this podcast. Happiness is a habit. When you were going through that season of your life that was very difficult, did you say one day, I'm going to be happy and then start to build on the habits? Or did the happiness come on the other side of the habits that you were experimenting with?
1: I think I've, I was always, already, that's the interesting part. I think, and this is what I try to tell people, I was cultivating the habits way before the rug got pulled out from under my life. So that's what I tell people, but you wanna really cultivate these habits when it's easy. Because when, you know, life comes and knocks you down and it will, we, we all get something, you have, you get up a lot quicker. Um, and you also asked me about the publishing process, which I didn't answer that question. Um, but again, cultivating the habits now while it's easy will help you recover a lot quicker. And then the publishing, again, I just put it off and put it off. And I finally had to hire someone and say, OK, I need you to stand over me and help me write this book. So I hired this fabulous woman and she said to me, I'm giving you 30 days. I forget what she did. And I just wrote it and she edited it. And back in the day, I mean, we're going back, right? We didn't have all the the resources we have now. I sent my husband to the, to the Barnes and Noble to go through all the books in my genre. And he wrote down 50 publishers. And then we came home and we looked them all up. And out of the 50, only 12 took unsolicited book proposals. I sent it to 12 and one said yes. So that's the thing, right? This doesn't have to be hard. Um, you know, we think it's, and now with self-publishing, you know, you know, you could go either way, your book is getting published. You know, you just make that decision. So it's, again, I don't listen to anyone who said it's going to be hard right? Show me the easy, show me if I take one step, one step, one. If I started walking to you in Florida, eventually I'll get there. It might take me a little while, but it doesn't have to be hard. It has to be consistent. I,
0: I love that you said that. I think that sometimes there's a misunderstanding between easy and lazy yeah. rather than being like hard and difficult. Can you talk about how something could be easy but still, take a lot of effort.
1: Yes, yes, and that's my whole new book is about. I'm you going know, about energy, right? So, when my first book came out, and I was practicing these habits mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, right? Since I wrote the book, then you have to live up to what you what you said. As I practiced it more and more, I was finding myself getting in these high energy zones where, like an athlete would call it the zone. In positive psychology, they call it flow. But I was in these euphoric states of flow. So I've come to call it my personal energy alignment. And so I get there by journaling. I get there by um, working out. I get there by listening to a good podcast. There's a lot of ways to get there. But what I want to teach people is that when you're there, everything you do is infused with love, right? When I look at your jewelry behind you, right? They say an artist puts love into the cake, right? You're putting love into your jewelry. You're putting love into your designs. You could put love into your email, you could put love into your conference call, right? When you get yourself in this higher energetic zone, your personal energy alignment, and then it's it's um, energy alignment versus sweat equity. You're not huffing it out so much. You're in a different flow.
0: I have so many questions. I have so many questions when did you know it was time to start another book
1: oh good that's oh this thing is gonna i so i have to tell you and your listeners i put this behind my head so i could see you could see your beautiful necklace and now it keeps it keeps pulling at me um i started my second book before i was ready i started almost 10 years right after the first one came out the publisher said to me write another one so so i sat down and I, i threw up 250 pages and it was not pretty so then i knew i had to let it go. And I think with all the changes that have happened on the planet in the last 10 years, where so many people are trying to control each other, I knew this is the time to write this book because really the only thing you control is yourself. If you know lockdown didn't teach us, or I call it my sacred isolation, right? We think we have all this control, but we really control what we think, what we feel, what we focus on and what we do. So that's where the book now came from I felt like we've gotten a, um, a microscope has been put on our society at this point, and it's magnifying a lot of different things. Um, but if you really look at it, what is in your control? And if you give up focusing on things that you don't control, life is so much easier and sweeter.
0: That's the easy button.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Control the controllables. Yes. When you and I first met, you mentioned the importance of continued education and continuing to build your skill set. How do you, as such a multifaceted woman who is a psychologist and a speaker and an author and all the things, how do you keep your skills fresh?
1: It's really falling in love with learning. Because if you're learning about something you're passionate about, I can't stop. Right. But for me, it's, always i have you know a stack of books i'm reading i have audible.com so i'm always listening one of the habits and happiness is a habit is listen to audible books in the shower you're in the bathroom getting ready every morning anyway and it's really looking at your ratio between entertainment and education right if i had a scale and you had to say what you know, how many hours this week have i spent on education versus entertainment which way does the scale go Right? Because I think right now a lot of people spend a lot of time on things and I'm not, there's nothing wrong with entertainment. I like it as much as anybody, but am I learning? Am I growing? And if you really start to pay attention to how you feel, most of us feel much better when we're learning and growing. We're excited about something versus comatose on the couch watching the next series.
0: One of the questions that I get asked so much about is my schedule and I want to pass that along to you. Can you walk us through your day-to-day, how you structure your daily, weekly calendar, if at all?
1: I am very structured, and I, I want to hear your schedule, so I'm going to get you on that later. But um, I'm very organized, right? It really has to be organized because there's so many things going on in this world and in life, and you can only give your attention to so many, so I'm very, um, organized in the morning. It's always, you know, get up, meditate. I meditate for 15 minutes. This is, doesn't have to be something that, you know, and some days I get there and some days I don't, and I just let myself off the hook, right? I go in with my app, I put it on 15 minutes and some days I have a beautiful meditation. Some days I can't stop my monkey brain. Then it's journaling and reading my journals. In fact, one of my journals is here. I don't want to make too much noise, but, um, I always have my journal, it's an extension of my arm, but it's not just a journal for me, it's also a place to capture notes from books I'm reading and I doodle in it, right? And I went on this Empowered Women's Retreat and sometimes just when I open my journal and I look at it, it makes me happy, it raises my energy. So I use the journal to take notes, I use it to um, write about what I'm anticipating for the day, my goals, it's not a diary, there's a big difference Um, Mostly it's capturing my ideas and where I'm going versus where I've been. That's the difference. My journal is forward thinking, not backwards thinking. And then it's working out and then getting, you know, getting my day started.
0: And then once the day gets started, is there a particular day that you work on X or another day that where you work on X, or is it pretty similar
1: throughout each day? Um, So I travel. So tomorrow's, you know, I travel. Um, I try to do my workshops midweek. So I have my Mondays and Fridays to be at my home base. So tomorrow, I'm traveling up to uh, Boston, you know, I'll be there for the next three days. So it's, again, since I travel a lot, it's also making sure there's always light in the calendar. So if I know I'm traveling for three days, then I have an office day. I don't like to book, I don't book back to back meetings, I don't book back to back flights, I always, you know, usually arrive in the city, I'm going the night before right? I really don't believe in stressing myself out. I've just been in too many situations where the plane's late or something happens that just gets me off course. So it's, you know, I try, again, I try to have Mondays and Fridays be days where I'm just working on things where, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm with people, right? So there is a method to how I do it. I mean, everyone has to do it different, you know, has to schedule according to their, what works for them. But I know after a weekend, I like just being in my office on Monday, getting prepared for the week, Right. Because a lot of times I work with people and I look at their calendars and I think, when do you do your work? You have scheduled back to back meetings Monday through Friday. And when do you actually do anything? So and it's really being I always tell people take control of your calendar. We don't do that. We let everybody we're at the mercy of everybody else versus you have to do your work. You need your creative time. You need your quiet time. I schedule all I schedule all that. in. I even schedule in my thinking time, my creative time.
0: How much time do you give yourself for thinking and creative time, and how frequently?
1: Well, usually it's a morning thing. So mornings are usually, you know, for when I'm walking or journaling. Um, and usually I'm I could be two hours in the morning just with my journal and and contemplating and mapping out things. And I think years ago I used to think, am I wasting my time because I get so into it? But then I realized the value of the planning and the and the creating. That when I do actually sit down and do something, it goes quicker. It flows. Versus, and then you're in the zone already. Almost the journaling puts me in the zone, prepares me. It's almost like an athlete stretching before a run, right? I'm going to journal and what am I going to do today? And where am I going? So that when I actually sit at my desk, it's like, you know, just like a symphony, right? It, It just goes better.
0: You mentioned that you were coached to write your first book in 30 days. How long were you working on your second book before you felt like it was nearing completion? (laughs)
1: Much different. That's been a year working a year in progress. It's and really it's only just because stops starts and stops and I have a lot going on now. So between my travel schedule and, you know, my regular, you know, the work, it was just I would work on it and then I would have a period where I was traveling. So um, yesterday, literally this is falling out again. I'm so sorry. Yesterday, literally, I just we just polished up the last edit. So I think that's a good sign. Um, But, and then that's the thing for people too. You said, you know, people have to rush it. There's no debt. This is your deadline. You get to move it, right? If someone said to me, we need your book by the end of, you know, then I would get it done. But because I have so many other things going on, I'm not that hard on myself. I know it'll get out and it'll be divine timing. It'll come out when it's meant to come out. I don't beat myself up for that. Can you go
0: all over all the different avenues of your business? Because it's so multi-pronged. And I want people to understand the full spectrum. Thanks.
1: So, again, the, I have different different um, doorways. You would would you say, training is one of the things I work a lot with corporations, um, and I do workshops based on emotional intelligence, positive psychology, leadership. You know, preparing new leadership leaders for their roles, um, communications, conflict, influence. I have a host of classes in that genre. And then from that, I do a lot of team coaching where I'll take the executive team of, say, 12 people and we'll put them through what I call their high impact communication so that they work better together. So they get a series of classes over the course of three to four months where we do assessments so they know each other's character, strengths, personality. And then between the classes, there's one on one coaching with each of the leaders so again you want them to be a more cohesive team so that's one aspect then i just do one off coaching for individuals you know recently i'm coaching a and my it's so brilliant this brilliant scientist who is great at his job but not good at giving presentations and his boss said to him if he doesn't get better right he could have he could have way more promotions in his career and he's such a success story he's doing beautifully and so from coaching individuals to doing the workshops. And then I'm doing the authoring. I do keynotes next week. I'm, I have a lot going on next week. I'm doing a women's panel at a women's forum with two other brilliant colleagues of mine. We're doing um, for um, it's from women's history month. And let's see. so I've got coaching, I think an authoring, I think keynoting, I think I've covered most of them.
0: If someone's listening to this podcast or watching um, this podcast and they say, Oh my gosh, I love what this woman is doing. I can see myself doing my version of that. How would you advise them slash your younger self to take those steps to reach where you are?
1: Yeah. So again, it's number one, finding your content, right? What is what is your message? Number two, who is your audience? You know, who do you want this message to go to? And then creating some product or something to offer. It could be a 20 minute Speech. It could be a one-day workshop. It could be a pamphlet. It could be a podcast. Right. So, what is your vehicle to get your message to the marketplace? So, what's your what's your message? Who's your audience? And then, what is your vehicle to share? And then, you know, start from there. That's what I would say. And I'm happy to, you know, if people go on my website, you could get like an energy shift uh, coaching call with me. You can get a one-off call if you wanted to pick my brain. I'm happy to do that as well.
0: That's so awesome. We know you have your. Book that's coming up. What are you excited about?
1: Uh, yeah, so many good things. And right now, I just launched a series of videos based on the book Happiness is a Habit. And it's a self study guide, guided um, videos, which are fabulous. It's about an hour and a half of macro, micro videos with an 80 page beautiful workbook. So it's self paced. You watch the video and then you do the work in the workbook. And then, um, It's just beautifully done, it's on, it's just been launched, it's brand new, it just launched two weeks ago. So it's basically, it's called happiness is a habit, but it really now is bridging from my old book to the new book, right? So it's a little of both. So you're getting the best of both worlds and it really is geared towards your mental fitness. I like to tell people I train minds to feel better. You don't need another world, you don't need different circumstances, you just need to look at them differently and the happiness is a habit video series is really geared towards you um, creating that strong mental um, fitness
0: what does the future of all things michelle phillips look like
1: oh good question what does the future for me i am a follow the energy person i think you know i have lots of fun things like i want to start doing coloring books and journals and you know i will continue with the video. The two ingredients for everything I do my whole career has been energy and optimism. If it doesn't energize me and I'm not excited about it, I don't do it. So again, um, it's not everybody's path, but if it's exciting me, you know, right now doing all these podcasts have been wonderful. So I will continue to be out there in the world. I don't have any um, plans on stopping, and I'm just really excited to be here with you today. I want to talk a little
0: bit about your target demographic. Curious if it's consistent across all of your different streams of revenue. How did you go about finding your target demographic when you develop content? Do you really lean into who that person or people are? Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I wish I had a, a set answer to that, Maren. I don't. It just I feel like my, my clients have found me over the years. And i I really did a deep dive into this recently. Because I do feel like I do some all these marketing efforts sometimes. And then when I looked back at my client list, I thought, oh, my gosh, every one of these clients found me. So it's, you know, you put a lot out there between, you know, your mailings and your posting. And, you know, I go to a lot of networking events. And since I've been around a long time, you know, people know me. That's the beauty of this, too. Like recently, I get calls from people who I work with 10 years ago, and now they're in a position to hire me. So like you might get me when you're the newbie in the company, and now you're the leader. So then you call me. So it really has been a very organic marketing campaign for me and that suits me fine.
0: You mentioned the word networking. Talk to us about that because a lot of folks when they think networking, it's very stuffy, a little bit rigid, um, but it sounds like the relationships that you've built through quote unquote networking have really served you. How would you advise people to approach that part of what is very important of building a business?
1: Yeah, I think we've come a long way in terms of that. Nobody wants to, most people don't want to be stuffy and, you know, that kind of old fashioned networking that we we think of when we think of the word, so I always again look for events I'm interested in. Are they in art galleries? Are they at wineries? Are they with women that are empowering each other? You know, so again, it's find the networking that speaks to you. And that takes time because I've been a part of some networks that offered me nothing, or when I was the, 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 the most you know, established person, right? I want a network where there's people that are more established than me, right? So I have something, someone to inspire something to be inspired to. So it's really looking at what's available. I know there's just so many organizations out there, but you know, I used to give myself a goal. That's another thing you're reminding me. When I first started this, I went to one networking working event a week for years just to get my name out there. Again, it's different. You could Zoom network now, but back then it was live, you know, get in your car and drive someplace.
0: I love that relationship building was so intentional for you in that regard. Um, I've also found, you know, coming from a former, I still have a very Strong hustle muscle, but going from a very anxious, you know, hustler and like always having to stay busy and really prioritizing relationships at this point in my life, it is so impactful. Like, that is really the meat and potatoes of all things that
1: really make up the brand. And you're hitting on something really important. So, it's you go to the networking event and don't expect to just make sales at a networking event, right? Make friends or build relationships and then take them for coffee, take them for lunch, you know, take the the meeting out of the networking room so that you do start to build relationships. And the studies say it takes 14, I think, meetings to really have a, start building a relationship. That's a lot.
0: And in a similar way, if you have a digital product, it usually takes someone between 11 and 14 times of seeing your product or service to finally press the button um to confirm that they're interested in it. So it really is the long game and I found that I'd love your feedback on this but I've really found that by going places and not even talking about myself at all just asking questions and being very interested in other people it ultimately will lead to oh this person isn't just trying to pitch me something um and it's led to some of my most meaningful impactful relationships and now you know, those folks and myself included are now in a position where we can champion each other, where we do have our platforms and we can work together in a much more meaningful way than it would have been when we first met each other years ago.
1: You're so wise. And that's what I, you know, I see what you're, I see your brand, I see what you're doing. And you're just, it's really wise, you know, the old quote, you can make more friends in two minutes being interested in them than in two years trying to get people interested in you. Really rings true. So go, I, you know, I always ask people, "What do you do when you're What do you do when you're not working, right?" Um, I even, how do I say it in Spanish? Que tu en tu tiempo libre. I learned how to say it in Spanish because what do you like to do when you're not working usually opens the door to a wonderful conversation. Versus what do you do?
0: Yes, I love that. Well, Michelle, you are so fabulous. Where can we find you, and how can we support you?
1: Thank you, Maren. It has been such a pleasure to be with you. I'm so inspired by you as well. You are a rock star. I You can find me on Instagram at, at Key Performance. That's the name of my company. Um, it's Key Performance. And my website is ww.ke2unlock.com. It's the number two. So K-E-Y, the number two, U-N-L-O-C-K.com. And thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for being here and for your time and your wisdom. And I'm so excited for your new book to come out. Um, you're really doing such important work and I'm grateful to have you now in my tribe.
1: I, I feel exactly the same way. The feeling is so mutual. You are just inspiring me just by having this conversation.
0: And the hoops are beautiful on you. I'm sorry they were giving you trouble with your earpiece, but they look oh, fabulous <laughs> on you and I hope you get lots you. of use out of them.
1: Thank you. I will.
0: You guys, the interview was just incredible. A huge thank you to Michelle for coming on the show. Another big thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and producers at Island City Media. If you liked this episode, you can listen to it again and again on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review so we can continue bringing you the people and conversations that you love, just like Michelle. Lastly, if you want to connect with me offline, you can find me at MarenCostello.com and Maren Radio on Instagram. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another amazing guest on Marin Costello Radio.